right, and welcome to episode three of There's So Much We Don't Know, the podcast for curious people. My name is Nick Foy, at the Nick Foy on the Twitter, with me today from her home in the lovely northern Ohio. Did I ever tell you a story about East Coast sucks? <laughs> what? Um, I'll tell you in a second. Is okay. <laughs> Megan Maureen <laughs> at Cake 719 on the Twitter. And uh, today we're talking about a topic that's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Nick so is so excited for this topic. I don't know. I was, and it's, it's a little bit less so now that we're here. Um, uh, there's so much we don't know about women's health. And with us today, a special guest, a board-certified OBGYN, who uh, you'll know her on the Twitter at MD Rationalist. She's brilliant and engaging. And she's been, how long have you been practicing now? Um, uh, 15 years. When's the game? <laughs> <laughs> so before I get into this. Um, oh, dad joke. Yeah. It's dumb, it's dumb. Um, yeah. Before, <laughs> before I get into the topic at hand, East Coast sucks. So I'm, I grew up in California. Right. And grew up playing water polo. And then I went to the Midwest to play water polo in college. And then I was back on the West Coast in San Luis Obispo junior year, maybe, of college for uh, national championships. And we didn't make it to the national championship game. But the national championship game was Cal Poly, which is in San Luis Obispo, California, right. versus Michigan State, which is in East Lansing, Michigan. Right. The Cal Poly students came out to watch because it was their classmates and uh, schoolmates who were in the championship game and they started chanting east coast sucks and because they're playing to the, the kids in, Ohio, in michigan michigan state kids yeah and i said i said to a couple of them i said you know <laughs> michigan's not on the east coast and in a very this is a very cavalier california attitude they said it's east of here <laughs> well because everything east of here is east coast. So even you in the upper Midwest are actually on the east coast. Well, we're in eastern time zone. Yeah, I, that's true. Is that right? It's, in Ohio? Yeah. Barely. Not, yeah. Indiana's like all messed up. I didn't know that. Yes. No, we're, yeah, we're eastern time zone. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Let's yeah. just talk about that the whole time. <laughs> yeah. We're going to forego the topic at hand. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to do probably very little talking, even, well, I don't know. I probably talk too much anyway. I'm going to do very little talking today. And I'm, we are going to let MD Rationalist and Megan have a conversation about women's health. Megan has come up with a whole list of questions. Because I am so excited about this topic. And my mom is like the biggest fan of the podcast, but I hope that she does not listen to this one because even at my age, married with three kids, I do not want my mom to know what I'm about to ask you. Yes. Um, You'd probably that. be surprised what the seniors ask in the rooms alone. <laughs> I mean, I I'm, just, I'm just saying. Do you mean college I'm, seniors? Um, I would say the, 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 uh, Mature adults. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, I see. Okay. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> there's so what? much. There is really, there's so much. I would like to actually just break off into my own podcast and do like a 10 part series on this. Um, Can I say one thing real quick before you start? I guess. How we got on this topic. <laughs> so I'm interested. Uh, I know a lot of physicians, I have physician friends and clients and everything else. I'm always interested how people got into their specialty. 
how they decide to choose their specialty. You know, you go, you do your rotation in your med school and your residency or wherever else. And at some point, at what point in your training did you have to choose a specialty? Um, you have to zone in by the spring of your third year, probably. Most people kind of have a vague idea by then. And then you spring of your have third year of med school or residency. Med school, okay. yeah. Okay. So then your residency you focused on whatever. Right. It was four was- four years, yep, of OBGYN, like after med school. Okay. So in your third year at med school, you decided that this was the area that you wanted to focus on. What what uh, what um, got you so excited about it? <laughs> I know what you're going for here. <laughs> Nick, <laughs> why don't you... I don't know what I'm going so excited about it. The answer to this is actually kind of interesting. So, and there's a whole chart I'll have to send you, but different personalities and kind of like big picture, more cerebral... There are different personalities that tend to gravitate towards different uh-huh. specialties. And um, actually, a lot of people overlap that are interested in OBGYN and also ER and Hmm. also sometimes urology or ENT because they, they're all obviously totally different, you know, parts of the body, but they have a similar kind of, they have a similar. If I go to the ENT. Yeah. Well, they have a, they have a similar flow, which is it's sort of targeted uh, but has procedures, but you also get to know patients. It's an interesting mix. Um, the biggest divider between ER and OBGYN, because that's actually a really common thing that people struggle with, is that ER is more uh, shift-based. Like you don't necessarily know what comes next. And then OBGYN, um, you tend to have you know patients across a, a career. And so a lot of it depends on um, your interest in that. Well, and... Because Nick, I don't know if you want me to say, Nick thinks that anybody who chooses to do this, kind no. You can say that. Yeah, go ahead and say it. But uh, I'm going to, it's not necessarily, what you're about to say might not be true, but go ahead. I didn't think <laughs> it would be true. I'm just saying, because uh, going back to like you said, a certain personality. So I kind of do want to like go to what kind of personality tends to do that. But Nick tends to think that you have to be a little bit of a creeper. Right? Isn't that what you said? I I don't think that MD Rationalist herself is one. I know. Uh, I'm not not you. Not you. But I've having been having participated in procedures when my wife had children and been in there and part of the process. Um, I I sense a little bit of creepiness from the male doctors that were involved. Uh, and I don't know if that's across the board that 100 percent of them are, but I think probably 98 percent are. But, but maybe that's unfair. And I want to know: Are they all? They're like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And they're doing things and trying to have like a normal, casual conversation while they're doing the things that they're doing, right? They're like having some sort of procedure or making like, so what are you guys planning on this weekend as they are examining my wife? And then I'm like, they do this with every woman that goes in there. And so how do they choose the casual conversations to have, you know, to like (laughs) make it like, oh, I'm not. Once it's normalized as part of your job, I mean, it's sort of like hiring a realtor. I mean, it's the same idea. It, like, sort of, it yeah. really, like a realtor's not judging your closets. Your realtor's trying to get you the best price for your house. I mean, same idea. It's looked at. I we're think not realtors largely are focused offense. on, yeah, they're focused on volume largely. Uh, and maybe same. a lot of. It, same. Yeah. <laughs> this is one podcast that I would love to release the uh, like footage from because I wish everybody could see Nick's face. 
at certain points. It's it's shining. It's bright red. It is. That's my Irish skin. Wedding. Turn the air conditioner on. Yeesh. So I think to go into a field that has some, you know, intimacy, I guess, or whatever you want to say involved with it, but really all fields are private. You know, it's it's a private thing with your doctor has to, right, you have but it's to look at the doctor looks in your ear or looks. I don't know. I mean, to me, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same. After years of um, doing it, it's just totally something I don't even think about at all. So I'll occasionally be at a, some kind of gathering, like a social gathering or something my my kid's school or whatever. And there'll be a lot of people that I know there as patients. And sometimes there's overlap and I'll get asked that a lot. Like, is it awkward for you? I'm like, no, I mean, it's like a different, it's a different personality almost. It's like you put on your, you know, GYN suit or something. And so, I mean, I'm always happy to chat with people with my patients that I know socially about what's going on in their lives because I think that's important but I don't think about it in the opposite way and I think do, most fans are like that do you remember the Seinfeld episode where uh, you're a Seinfeld person is right? it a Mulva? not Mulva no that's another good one too <laughs> no. I was gonna say the one uh, and I can't remember if it was the the uh John Voight character but they're at a party and the dentist was there and uh either Jerry or George somebody was like hey well, you look at my, I got a two, really bad toothache to the dentist <laughs> at the party. And then it's like, come and see me at the office. Don't do this here at the party. <laughs> you remember that? Does that ever happen to you? Are people like, oh, you're at a party? <laughs> okay, occasionally, occasionally. I have to show you something. <laughs> well, thankfully, I'm like super duper good at, at remembering like names. Because occasionally patients don't remind me, you know, if I see them out, uh, in, yeah. uh, out in public. But occasionally they'll ask something that I, but most people have pretty good boundaries. I think that's not something you're chatting about at the cocktail party. No, I mean, if I ran into my gynecologist, I would not bring up anything to do with that. I'd honestly probably put my head down and run. (laughs) But that's just me. You should wait. You know what? To the women out there listening, gynecologists are people too. Exactly. Don't run away from us. Come on. Behind the cantaloupe at the grocery store. <laughs> I mean, you know, though, anyone who's seen that, you'd probably walk away from in the grocery store. I, okay. Anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go. See, this right. is a funny disconnect. It's like so not awkward at all. In the like, if it's yeah. your job, any more than it is to use a realtor or a financial advisor or. Anything else? That's yeah. exactly, exactly. Your CPA senior, he, he made your tax return, so he knows lots yeah. about you too. Yeah, exactly. All right, same. Megan, fire okay. away. <laughs> I'm just going to go right go for it, right full force. So I've heard from people that work in the ER and stuff that um, a common thing that people come in with is things that they stuck up themselves, not in their vagina. <laughs> Not in their vagina? Oh, not. So, like, they. I'm sure they do. I'm asking... Like, there were things in the wrong place. Correct. Like, you know, they stuck things up. I, I can't... <laughs> I think what you're trying to say is... I just... What, I, what I hear you saying. I hear... Yeah, there's a lot that I've heard about the back. But you deal with the front. 
So I mm. guess I just want right. to know. Yeah, if fair enough. Anything you've found if people have come in and said, <laughs> I have something stuck or I did this or, you know, well, you found anything in there? <laughs> yeah, it's a little, I would say that that absolutely happens because you know, it, it just does. And most of the time, I'd say 70% of the time, it's something you find would do that you're not necessarily looking for. Like Mm. you're doing an exam for some other reason and there's a little something left over, usually like tampon, condom, occasionally like a menstrual cup, like those things that are just forgotten about. And so they don't, know that they they don't know or they they come in for some other they think they have a yeast infection or something so you always look you never treat you know i I really don't like to treat things over the phone because every once in a while you'll find a little hidden a little hidden something yeah i've gotten so good at it over the years my nurse who's absolutely like my right hand woman she knows if i give her the look it's that there's been something you know noticed that was not anticipated and she knows to get a sealed Ziploc bag, and we just casually take it out, put it in the bag. The bag goes in the trash, and move on. So we're good at not making a big deal out of it. I haven't been able to find my car keys. (laughs) Yeah, those kind of things. What's like the weirdest thing you ever? You know, because okay, like I could see a tampon. Which, by the way, that's like my biggest fear. It's happened to us all, where you think it's there. Sorry, and then I'm like, your muffs. I know. Do I put another one in? I'm not going to say who somebody close to me um, actually had two in and didn't realize. Um, yeah. Oh, it happens all the time. I probably, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm terrified of that. Like, it's like a fear of my Well, not to be fearful that at least modern, like from a medical perspective, um, modern tampons are not super high risk, like the way they're made now, if a retained yeah you know, we would call that a retained foreign body. They're not very likely to give you like an infection or something like they used to so that you don't have to worry about that. I have at least a patient every few weeks who comes in for a possible retained tampon. They're almost never there, you know, but we just tell them to come in, let's take a peek. It's not a big deal. I tell them a story about when that happened to me in residency and it's just, we move on. So you shouldn't be nervous. You should get checked if you're not sure. No, I just feel like I'm always, you know, when it's that time and I'm like going to switch and I'm like, do I have one in? Did I, did I put one? And I'm like really checking down there to make sure that I got the last one out. Well, (laughs) even if you didn't, we'll figure it out one day. (laughs) And everything will probably be fine. Yeah, everything will probably be fine. It will eventually get discovered. So that's just, I wouldn't stress it. It'll just, no need, to go, no need to go on a treasure hunt. It's okay. Okay. Um, another thing I want to know is our. <laughs> so while you're thinking about well, the best I, way to yeah, work go ahead. this, I will say also objects like car keys or et cetera, that are not supposed to be like the most, by far the most common thing you're going to find are things that are supposed to be vaginal that somehow either get stuck or they can't come out or whatever. Not a big deal. Come in. We've, we have a little forcep. We take it out. It's not a big deal. No harm, no foul. Um, Occasionally you'll find something that was not intended to go in that area. Um, most of my experiences for that were when I would take ER call as a resident. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes you'd have, we had a fair amount of like body packers that would come in with the police from the airport, mm. um, oh. you know, to have somebody, cause you have to have medical person, like remove bags of heroin and things we would have up there sometimes occasionally, um, you know, you'd get people come in with, I don't know, intentionally put in things that would occasionally have to go to the operating room. Rarely like you can what, get like, can you out. give me an example of something like a golf ball, um, yeah. a head of garlic, um, <laughs> they're, things not made of silicone are a little harder to, to just finesse out into the baggie in the room. Right. Yeah. Would, yeah. <laughs> so I so don't do a golf ball. No. That. No. No, no body, body packing, not recommended. Not recommended. No. Yeah. There's probably bigger issues involved. I mean, there are certainly other issues yeah. involved. Most of that stuff would come in through the ER. Yeah. Um, I mean, you hear stories, it's never happened to me personally, of, you know, sex tours or things like that that get lodged in that are actually supposed to. I mean, I guess theoretically that's what they're for. I haven't come across that. But if that ever happens to anyone listening out there, your gynecologist has seen all of it. It's totally fine. Come in. We will help you. We will get We will get you all fixed up. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. Don't be ashamed. We'll have a good laugh over it. Yeah, it's yeah. totally fine. Life happens. <laughs> Life happens. Yeah. Well, I get this feeling sometimes, and I guess I've done this for so long. My patients know me really well that we have a real kind of a laid back, you know, relationship. But I think women in general, and especially teenagers and adolescents, they worry way too much about what the gynecologist is going to think. Right. You know, we're not thinking anything about how to, except for how to solve the problem. It has absolutely nothing, you know, there's no emotion attached to it as far as, you know, embarrassment. Um, right. I mean, it's not like, you know, I don't go in being like, oh, I hope this is like the best vagina they see all day. Mm. Right. So there's no, speaking of there, and that may be, you know, something to, to also put out there that nobody, we don't care. It doesn't need to be over-groomed either for us. Like, don't waste a good wax on coming in for your pap test. Like, get that before vacation. Like, it's okay. We're not paying attention. That's good information. <laughs> See? See, Nick? There's so nobody much you didn't know. Nick is, like, furiously taking notes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um Cause I was saying, you know, when I, I've had three kids, so spent a lot of times in waiting rooms and not everybody in there was pregnant, you know, and some people were older and, you know, you'd kind of look around the room and you'd be like, huh, like people have to look at yeah, you just girl over there. I mean, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I, in a way I'm thinking like, she doesn't look like she showered or she just came right from the gym. It's a it's a pretty utilitarian type of exam. I mean, the vagina can take a joke pretty good. And so can your so well OBGYN. You know, it's yeah. really, you're much better off in this sort of field if you just don't take it so seriously as far as like the personal aspect of it. But there's got to be like, I mean, like an overwhelming bad smell. Yeah, but I think you get deconditioned over time. I mean, you're not going into gynecology if you are a super sensitive soul. Right. Right? Like you're not, I mean, think about what happens. Think about what vaginas go through. It's rough. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
but yeah, it's I, rough. Yeah, so you you get it's a rough of, life to lead. Yeah, I mean, we appreciate it if someone showers, but it's not. I mean, we're what was that Betty White? Worried about I it. Betty White. But it's, it's, I think it was a Betty White quote. Um, vagina. She said, "Those things take a beating." <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, they're really not. They can take a joke, and so can we, as it turns out. And so should you, if you have one. It's not a big deal. Just come <laughs> see us and find someone that, if you feel uncomfortable with, find someone else. Yeah. No, and I never, I mean, I never cared, especially, you know, after you have at least one kid, you're like, I don't care who sees down there. I mean, in a professional setting, I don't mean just, you know, I'm not walking around (laughs) on the street. Um, Yeah. But I remember actually with our second baby, they came in and said, um, we have like a nursing student or some sort sort of a med student can they watch or, you know, learn whatever they need to do. And we're like, sure. I don't care at that point. You know, just get my baby out. I don't care. Um, he was so awkward, like <laughs> so awkward. I couldn't even, he started talking and I could see my husband out of like the corner of my eye in a chair. And I was like, don't look at him. Don't look at him. Because if I, if we looked at each other, we were going to start laughing. Um, <laughs> he wore white scrubs that were like see-through. Um, every time he left the room, he turned around and waved to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. So, Thank you for doing your part for education. <laughs> I mean, I he, the <laughs> they would check me and like he was supposed to be also looking because I would assume that's how you learn, but he would be very uncomfortable and like put his eyes towards the ceiling. And I'm going to say he probably, it didn't, this didn't work out for him. Yeah, he, he, pr- he probably found his way into a nice ophthalmologist office. Yeah, I was going to ask, <laughs> do you think it was then and there that he decided that well, this was the specialty of choice? Or you think then and there he decided no way? I think- you And know, what impact only- did you have on that, Kicks? That's the real question. <laughs> no, it was me. I, this poor- <laughs> guy that yeah. I, you know, and I was just trying, I was trying to be nice. Cause like I said, yeah. at that point, it's a professional setting. Everything's whatever down there and coming out. And I, like I said, I don't care. Somebody wants to learn. I just want, just get my baby out. Yeah. Um, right now at this moment, he's probably in a zoom session with his therapist, Meg, trying to, yeah. he's trying to unpack <laughs> all this out. what it yeah. is. He's, he remembers something vaguely that, <laughs> and he can't quite, he's not quite there. Yeah, he just didn't. Um, he knows there's something in his past, in his his medical <laughs> education that was scarring. And yeah, and it was oh. able to quite visualize it. He's probably not the only person, honestly, <laughs> due to me. So it's it's fine. Um, Nick, I feel like I'm totally taking over. Do you have anything? Well, that was what I. No, that was that was what I. That's what I intended. I mean, I don't know what to talk about here. Um, <laughs> the thing that um, and the reason we had first connected. Uh, you and I, uh, MD Rationalist, um, was sort of around COVID policy and conversations around that. And you told me a story about uh, women showing up randomly at your office. And I was wondering if you would uh, indulge our listeners and share this story. Right. What was so interesting, especially about that spring, um, we're talking like March, April, and I live in an area that had a pretty strict stay at home, you know, order and there were stuff coming down from the powers that be, I guess, about essential this and that. Anyways, um, you know, we were obviously considered an essential business, but 
we're not taking care of sick patients per se. I mean, it's mostly routine care. So for a while, we tried to sort of move our routine visits until later. I mean, it was kind of a, you know, a zoo, as you can imagine. But we were open and we remained open and staffed for in for in-person visits for problems because you can't do video visits are not a thing with gynecology. I mean, what are you going to do? Ask someone for a selfie stick and take a peek. I mean, it's not going to happen. So we, and my staff luckily is all really kind of on the same page. And I thought we've got a job to do here and we're going to take care of patients and not, not worry about it. Anyway. So this was very early on. This was late March, early April. We had all of a sudden on the schedule three or four visits for possible urinary tract infections and which is the exact right type of patient to come in. You know, that's the sort of thing we need to see you for. And we, um, my front desk girl was there. We had kind of a bare bones staff and she's letting them in. And then we're in the back and, and it was kind of one after the other, they came around the same time and one left a urine specimen and then went to the exam room and the other. And it took us a while to put it all together, but they had all, basically broken out of their senior living facility because the only way they were allowed to leave, they were on hard lockdown, apparently. We put this all together uh, later, was if they had a doctor's appointment. So these were, you know, seniors. They were in their 60s and beyond. And um, they all, I think, were like texting back and forth. And I do have a couple little pods of patients that come from the senior facilities and um, decided that they were going to fake urinary tract infections so that they could come, come into the office. And it was the first time they had been out in, um, you know, weeks, it sounds like. And uh, my front desk um, staff person was noticing they were looking at the artwork. They were walking around taking a tour of the office. (laughs) I wanted to give one like a video, I mean, uh, like an audio guide for as if it were a museum. Yeah. Um, So they were all super adorable. And then the best part of when the front desk um, person realized kind of what was going on is when she overheard one of them trying to bribe the um, minibus driver to take them through (laughs) (laughs) Chick-fil-A. So I it was mean, sort of a it was sort of a jailbreak. They weren't having it. They they were ready to kind of get back to life. They were not happy to have been closed in. Well, and a lot of them, I mean, I know, I just remember even like from my grandma's, I mean, their big thing was their hair, you know, once a week. And that was just, I think, more so just to talk to somebody, you know. So um yeah. you know, the fact that they they had that. The we still laugh about it. I still see all of them. <laughs> Thankfully, all of them have done fine um, throughout the whole ordeal. But it was definitely one of those moments because it was pretty early where you thought, you know, people, there's more to this than th- this is the highest risk demographic. And right. they really wanted to come and have socialization and obviously um, go to Chick-fil-A. That was <laughs> that was their problem concern. We were very secondary because we had to write them a note or something to get them back in. What happened overall to your volumes during that time? And what do you, have you seen since then? And um, what sorts of health things do you see? Well, we, I wouldn't say voluntarily, but sort of had to uh, decrease normal volume for a while. But being a small practice, um, we returned to normal operating volume as quickly as we could. Um, our patients wanted it. I 
felt really strongly about not um, getting behind on screenings and missed exams. And, and we've got a small building. We're not attached to the hospital, a hospital. So it was very like able to spread people out if they wanted to. And um, it's just the way the flow, what we changed the flow of the in and out to make people a little more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say we, we were back to, you know, 75% of our normal capacity, um, probably by May. And then over the summer, I mean, we were probably 125% trying to get people back in, put off screenings. I mean, we did have a handful of patients who didn't come in at all until, uh, you know, they've started trickling back in over this past year. We kept a log of anyone we hadn't heard from um, since 2019 to reach out to them personally and make sure we could get them in for their routine, you know, screening. However, some of the really cautious people, we come early or stay late where there would be no one else in the office. Uh, but that was not a huge of huge volume. That was definitely a small percentage. And that's kind of, I wanted to, you know, the one kind of serious thing I wanted, <laughs> wanted to ask you um, is the guidelines with PAP. Like, I am so confused. You know, it was like every year, but then if you had an abnormal one, because I've had abnormal ones in the past and then, but then I like got thrown off schedule because, you know, I had kids like, so I was always being checked and all of that. And then it was like three years. And so what is the actual, how often should you get a pap? Well, it's a, that it's a multi-part question, um, but it's a really good question. And the, you're not wrong to be confused. I mean, they've changed the guidelines several times in the yeah. past decade. So in general terms, over age 21, between 20 and 30, um, you should come in for a pap. No, no, it provided your normal health otherwise, um, at least every three years. But I do recommend my patients in that age range to come in yearly. A lot of times I'm the only doctor they really have that they see. Mm-hmm. And so even the, the um, I think it has been conflated in just the general lexicon that PAP is equivalent to a pelvic exam. And those PAP is a part of a pelvic exam. It's a, mm-hmm. you know, taking cells from the cervix at the time of the exam. So I recommend patients in that age group have an annual review with me yearly. And then we make a decision on the PAP based on their history. Okay. Um, and then over 30, that group uh, also, uh, depending on the individual, can come in every three. The five-year mark has been challenging for um, in several different groups I'm in with practicing OBGYNs. That's a challenging guideline to figure out how to use if you're an actual clinical practice because um, it makes sense for the lowest risk people. But sometimes if you say come in every X number of years for a pap smear, you won't hear from the patient for three to five years. Right. And there are other things that we cover at the exam. And mm-hmm. um, I think the important takeaway point is that the guidelines are population-based and your individual screening will be dependent on your personal history. Um, and so th- there's some there's some flexibility in there. And I think in general, probably having a pap more frequently than less is a good idea for most women. If no other reason, it brings you in and has you thinking about other women's health, um, yeah. you know, pieces of the puzzle. So it, the pap is really becomes a less and less important part of the exam as patients right. get older in most cases, but the actual interaction with your um, doctor becomes more important, I think. You know, between 45 and 55, the PAPs are one thing, but the hormone changes and all that become Mm -hmm. a lot 
intense and nothing um, is harder for me than when I haven't seen someone before that haven't seen him for three to five years and they've had this massive change in their um, menopause status, but they hadn't thought about coming in because they didn't need the quote pap and, you know, when in doubt, go in and and the doctor can decide whether or not you actually need the screening test. Um, Does that make sense? Is that boil it down a little bit? Yeah, no, no. I mean, I do because I'm confused. And then, like I said, when you're having like kids and then you're like, you're really thrown off because you feel like you're there you know, every other day. All the time, and, right. And so I, you know, just kind of wanted to to clarify that. But also kind of separate is, you know, they tell you as women to, you know, do a breast exam. Is there anything that women should be checking or looking for down there? Well, I think it's a good... Down yonder. Down yonder. So a lot <laughs> of... Little, for, that's that's a great point. So that is also part of when you come in to quote get your pelvic exam and pap smear. That's yeah. what we're trained to look at the skin, the you know area around because most dermatologists do not check. I mean, there are some that do sometimes, but um, and even if things are benign or whatever, we could say, hey, you've got a little ingrown hair here or this or that. So that is part of a general screening exam once mm-hmm. a year. Um, but I just tell my patients, I'm like, don't overthink it, but, you know, take note of the skin or if you notice any changes um, in the hairline, then let us know. We could take a look at it. Most of the time, it's nothing to worry about, but um, there's not like a self-exam that's recommended per se. Yeah. Because most things tend to be symptomatic, something you would notice. Okay. Do you act as like a general practitioner for women or do women have a doctor and you? Like a... Typical there, uh, general this practice. May v- this may vary somewhat regionally and somewhat um, with how rural or urban the, the practice is. But generally speaking, um, most OBGYNs will be a, kind of a primary care for at least women up until their 40s. Um, or at least I do. If there are other medical problems, of course, we link in our subspecialists or internists. But after 40, my personal um, preference is for my patients to have an internist or a family doctor that they at least are assigned to because you're just more likely to need um, more specialty screening. I mean, I'm not trained, for example, to manage people's cholesterol at this age. And so it's good to have another doctor, but you may only need to see them every so often. Is that good answer. I don't know if that is helpful. Yeah. 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 But there, there are places where that are more rural that OBGYN is more like, you know, a family doctor um, for lifelong, but that is definitely, I would say the exception. Um, okay. I'm going to totally switch, switch topics <laughs> yes. from the serious. I had <laughs> to throw like one or two serious questions in there. Um, okay. I have heard something about pineapple. Eating pineapple, um, originally they said for guys, would, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. Yes, You're talking to a GYN, throw it in. I, I know, but I need to like block Nick's face out. <laughs> okay. Here, so let me turn my yeah, camera off so you can't see my face. Ready? Sure I'm clear. <laughs> so, no, let's see if you can hear Nick. Who's, who's eating the pineapple in this scenario? Okay, well. So is, is that is that an allergy or is it an actual? No, no, no. It's actual, fruit. actually, <laughs> actual fruit pineapple. That um, if a guy does that, that it will 
it will does taste like no, but she, she, she actually means literally eats a pineapple. Eats a pineapple. Okay, if a guy eats a pineapple, like a literal piece of fruit, like yeah, you could buy it. This is not. Fruit. Yeah, this is not. <laughs> hey, I'm no. just making. Yeah, you would no. be. You would be amazed actually, at what how the analogies I have to crack. No, no, no. actual <laughs> the fruit pineapple. Um, okay, that they're <clears throat> when they. <laughs> I'm like a 12 year old. <laughs> then it will have a better taste. Huh. Okay. So then I've heard that that is also true for women. That if a woman eats a pineapple, I'm on like a group text with um, like a lot of women, and they'll say, I can't look at Nick's face right now. <laughs> um, you know, well, make sure you eat the pineapple a day before or whatever, because it's supposed to. The day before what? The day before your date or what? Well, yeah. The day before before if somebody's going to be in that region. What? Like the upper Midwest? I mean, it is a thing, right? With certain types of foods that get broken down enzymatically and how it makes, um, you know, different uh, excrements, let's say. Um, (laughs) Cutting up a pineapple. (laughs) Right. Asparagus comes to mind and there's a certain um, (laughs) enzyme that breaks that down. I do not know that there is a, um, I will have to research that and get back to you. That'll be for part two. I've never heard that before. I've never been asked that before. This might be the first time ever. (laughs) I didn't know any of this. Um, I actually feel like I've learned a lot, like just in the past couple of years, um, as sad as that might sound, but, um, I also have been with my husband since I was 19. So I don't, no, a lot, you know, and then there's people that have been dating and married and then divorced and then with different people. And so you learn different things. And I didn't know the pineapple thing. Um, well, I'll research this for you and we'll find out if there's any scientific basis behind it or if it's just placebo effect. Maybe, you know, yeah, that works just as well. It really doesn't matter how you get from A to B as long as you get there. Um, that's interesting. I like that. (laughs) If a pineapple makes you less self-conscious somehow and more, I mean, then I feel like there's no downside to the pineapple. I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not gonna go out and get pineapple, you know, just for that reason. But I just actually, somebody brought it to my attention today as, um, a question to actually, actually ask you. Well, you know what? I will research that and I will see if I can find a, a better answer than I'm not, than I don't know. Okay. Because I'm actually dying to know now. Okay. Um, then I want to go into grooming. Mm-hmm. Very, very important topic. Um, and you said earlier that it you don't really no. care. You're not. No. From a clinical perspective, nobody cares. You know, that is really not important at all. Um, it's not going to make a difference in your exam or your examiner's perception of your general health or hygiene. Now, does it, is there something that is better? Cause then people are like, well, you shouldn't have nothing down there. Well, that is true. So that is a trend. So these things come and go. 
And the time I've been practicing long enough, especially if you count residency, that I've seen several cycles of like how the general population is dealing with their dealing with grooming. Um, <laughs> so right now there it seems to be two extremes where it's either sort of full, you know, 1970s full on, you know, no grooming whatsoever, or it's um, like extremely bald, like Brazilian. So, I mean, the happiest medium probably lies somewhere in between the two because right. a little a little hair is good because it adds a layer between the skin and whatever underclothes you're wearing, mm -hmm. um, which then allows a little air to circulate. So you're more actually more likely to get irritation or yeast infection sometimes if there's no hair at all because you've lost the you've lost the barrier for the moisture. That, which kind of reminded me, and I wasn't even thinking about this, but when you said air, okay, so I've always heard, and I heard it from when I was a little girl, that a girl, women should not sleep in underwear. They should I, let it air out. I tend to agree with that because you need, you know, think about dark, it's moist down there. It's dark. It does not getting any it's good to just I mean, full disclosure, I don't. Like I never, since I was a little kid and I don't, my girls don't. Yeah, um, mine don't either. Th same. I think you need to. But it's funny because when they have to do day at school, they like don't think they have to wear underwear. I'm like, no, no, no this is different. Like <laughs> yeah, you're going yeah. to school when pajamas are close, you, like, you have to wear underwear. Right. They're like, well, why don't with my pajamas? I'm like, well, you just you have to. Um, so, so but I like it, the medical answer is that you absolutely can do no grooming at all. And there's no medical problem with that. The uh, too much grooming can definitely lead to more, you can be more prone to irritation and infections. In practical speaking, um, it's probably, most people are probably more comfortable a little bit in between, which, you know, is the truth with most things. Now I will say, going back to some interesting pandemic um, uh, situations that we encountered besides the um, Golden Girls trying to break out of Shady Pines. <laughs> we also had a run. We probably had five or six patients in May of 2020. So at least where I live, the salons and groomers and things were still closed right? or they were not available. So we had a bunch of self-grooming injuries that came in, oh. you know, either, yeah, ingrown hairs. We had a couple of terrible razor cuts. So a couple of skin infections. So ladies, the point being like, leave this to the professionals if it's going to be anything more than just some basic grooming. So that's worse than some hair highlights gone awry. Wow. Yeah. When you close the salons, a lot of things happen. There's a, so much we don't know about what... <laughs> so much you don't know. <laughs> Never going to guess that. Well, I mean, think about it. It was going to be bathing suit season. Yeah. Everyone's like ready to go, you know, get some fresh air. That was like one of the few things you could do is go to the beach or go to the pool sometimes. And um, anyway, so people just took matters into their own hands. So that's that will go down as a secondary tertiary effect that nobody would have considered. Yeah. Right? I, I, it's going to be I had one patient that almost that. needed to admit for IV antibiotics. She had such a bad cellulitis from that. Oh my gosh. I know. You know and the what I've never had anybody do anything. Like I've never had I've never been waxed down there. Ever. I don't think you're missing out. <laughs> 
Nick's face is total disgust right now. Like I just wanted to end. <laughs> That's not disgust. I think it's, a, I think I'm glad you girls are talking about this. <laughs> um, Nick. So I wait one last like public service announcement, whatever yeah. you're yeah. going to do, if you're in, you know, we're going to remove hair, doing it consistently is key. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're going to shave, you need to use the best quality razor and do it frequently, almost like a man would shave his face. The skin's sensitive. You can't mm-hmm. just go in there with some cheapo old razor, you know, and see what happens. And same with waxing. It's really going to be easier on your skin if it's regular. Same with laser hair removal. You know, trimming is probably the one thing that doesn't you know, it's not going to be sensitive. But I just say if you're going to remove hair, do it in a consistent pattern and you'll have less irritation. There you go. See, it's just probably the same as, you know, beard maintenance, I would imagine. I don't know. I, same, I'm, uh, same idea. Legitimately out of shave gel right now. And so my face is a little bit furrier than normal. My wife doesn't appreciate it. She doesn't like to kiss me when it's a scratch. <laughs> I like a little bit of hair on, guy, like a like a little bit. But I'm not. She's got, very, she's got a very sensitive face. Okay. But I'm not. I'm not kissing. <laughs> <laughs> and after today, we probably will never talk again. <laughs> so it's fine. Um, Nick, any other any other questions that you are dying to know? No, I. I mean, for me, I feel like um, she's done an amazing public service by uh, informing our our listening public uh, having a conversation about all these, about all these issues, but you're the one who, who sort of pulled the appropriate audience to make sure that the uh, questions that were being asked were. Well, yeah. Cause I think, top of mind. I mean, people go overboard. Like when they're going to the gynecologist, like I have to make sure, you know, that everything's okay down there. And you're saying it really doesn't. Yeah, I, that's the the message to get across is it's so, that is definitely a barrier for some women to come in is they're worried about how they look or if it's going to be embarrassing or what the doctor's going to think of them or that they might have to have an exam or they may not know the difference between a pap smear or whatever. And that's um, you know, one of my tenants of practice is to just demystify, you know, all of this stuff. There's nothing we haven't seen before. I mean, gynecologists are people too. We have to be on the other side of the stirrup. So I certainly sympathize with the feeling about being anxious about your own appointment, but hopefully this helps. Um, And I don't think I'm unique in the way GYNs view their patient care. It tends to be a very laid back. I mean, you really can't survive in that sort of field where you're dealing with a lot of intimate issues, kind of embarrassing things. But I mean, we laugh our butts off in my office all the time because <laughs> uh, it's a funny thing, you know, it really is. And so finding someone that you're comfortable with um, is one of the most important things you can do. And then just go and be real and don't make it into a science project. We're not looking at it that way. And you should say to always be honest about, you know, because I know they always ask, like, have you had, you know, any new partners or anything like that. Like always yeah. be honest, not embarrassed, say, you know, what you need to say, because that's important, right? Right. It, very important. And most offices probably have either an online or paper form you can print out before and just write things down. So it's not 
hopefully too much of a, um, it doesn't feel like an interrogation session. Yeah. Um, but I've had plenty of patients that I haven't really opened up to me for a while and that's fine too. A good doctor will see you frequently enough and just meet you where you are. And that is okay. If you've never been before, I've had patients that have never come in before when they're 40 years old. Um, and they've been really worried about it and we're not going to try to go all in and do a full, you know, exam on the first visit, just some meet people where they are. Are there common themes, things that you tell a good majority or perhaps plurality of women that you see that you say, uh, women need, are broadly, uh, it would be better if women did this differently health-wise? Um, that's a great question. So since I just do gynecology now, um, I tend to see a lot of adolescents and you know college student age, 20-year-olds, um, and then a lot of moms you know, that are done having kids. And both of those demographics are so similar in a lot of ways. Um, it's just a, it's a high pressure time. You're not actively focusing maybe on having a family, but it's still there in, in the mix. And I think one of the most important things for health in general is managing um, your stress and making sure you're prioritizing sleep and Obviously, diet and exercise in, in general is important, but more prioritizing your own care, putting yourself higher on the to-do list than most women are naturally inclined to do. Stress is a huge thing. And when you're running around looking after everybody else all the time, then that leaves less in your fuel tank um, to for your body to run better. And I think we we forget that, that we are mammals, you know, like the you know, like the tigers at the zoo. I mean, we're not any more different from a metabolic mm -hmm. standpoint and getting that stress under control, prioritizing sleep. You, women's default is to think, oh, this is selfish of me to go to bed early when I'm tired rather than volunteer at the PTA meeting or something. But um, my argument would be that you have to really look at those demands on your time and see what the return on investment really is. And it's okay to set boundaries. Boundaries is not the same as being selfish. Right. What sorts of um, changes in the dynamics of what it means right now to be a teenager are you seeing compared to the different pressures that they have? Or is it kind of all the same and it's just a Well, I, I laugh that perimenopausal kind of women getting towards menopause and teenagers are both kind of the islands of misfit toys. Like it's, it's just a challenging time hormonally and it's, there's a lot of weird pressures. I mean, and things are not on totally stable ground for different reasons, perhaps, but at least for women, girls, it's a really similar uh, chemistry. And I try to see my teenagers starting, um, I mean, I'll see them anytime, but I try to see them for the first time. A lot of my patients have daughters they want to bring in, for example, maybe in the summer after 10th grade, there's no exam involved. This is different, Megan, than maybe when you're probably younger than I am, but you don't have a pap smear or, or pelvic exam until 21 now. Um, but just to slowly establish that relationship, um, we talk, it's more education than anything. And, and I find if you give young women, the confident tools um, with good information in a non-judgmental way, then I think they make better decisions. The more information that you give them and the more that you give them agency over that. Now, I know you said, so wait, no pelvic exam before 21? If there's a problem, sure. Like it's fair game at any time, but routine screening pelvic exams are not until 21. Now, I always heard if once you're sexually active. So if you're a 16-year-old, no. 
Anyway. That, not anymore. That was the prior okay. um, guideline, but that changed maybe 10 years ago officially. Okay. Now, there are young women that need pelvic exams, but that I would say just the general screening. Um, however, if there's a really good um, gynecologist, especially that focuses in adolescence or that does a lot of um, younger women, it's a great thing to have gone before you're 21. You can really learn so much and feel so much more comfortable in that next phase um, having normalized that experience. Right. I just didn't know if it was, you know, like, oh, you know, this you said. Yeah, that used to be exactly what okay. it was. 16 or three years after sexual activity, I think, is when you had, okay. I don't know, it was complex that way. But now it's a lot. Um, I think the guidelines in general are more liberal as far as it relates to screening mm-hmm. um, in, in general, um, which I think is a good thing, probably on the front end. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's very low to do a lot of asymptomatic pelvic exams on teenagers. Um, but it's they're it, asymptomatic ever. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. I know, right? um, I know it like triggers me now to talk to, H- talk to people about HPV. I'm like, it's a PCR test. <laughs> um, so anyways, if they're moms of teenagers, it's great. If you have a gynecologist you like, uh, it's great to establish the relationship over time. It also... Nick, kind of to your point, what I think is really different is we're, I'm probably older than both of you, but there's a little bit less natural, uh, this is on average, natural ability to feel comfortable interacting with adults in person, like in that sort of a doctor-patient relationship for teenagers now than it was because there's so much more texting and emailing and they rarely pick up the phone and call anybody. And um, medical care is one of those in-person type experiences, or it should be. Um, right. So sometimes even just the, you know, the the language skills. I'll see my teenagers start at sixteen or seventeen, and they're completely so much more mature in a few years, and much more comfortable with me um, or our office. And we have a policy. We don't. It's not a hard and fast policy, but we like our high school graduates to start making their own appointments, not their moms. Not that the mom can't make the appointment. It's more of the process to get a little more tools that I just don't think they have quite as much baked into the cake as we did growing up. Right. Well, it's funny you say that because my uh, nieces, and they'll kill me, they're um, older now. The ones actually turns 20 this weekend. But when she um, first got her period, she, and it's just so, her and her sister are so different. The My one niece will tell my sister everything and the the oldest one was like texted her from upstairs and was like I got my period I don't want to talk about it (laughs) and so she was like okay you know my sister always made sure she had supplies (laughs) the supplies she'd go in her bathroom you know make sure and she was just like I don't you know I don't want to talk about it and my other niece you know when she got hers I'm sure my nieces aren't aren't going to listen to this anyway but they're probably like oh my god Aunt Megan I can't believe you're doing this but it just it's funny that you say that about the texting because you know when I got my period like I had to come home and tell my mom I remember well, I got to find the school nurse or something. I, I, mean, well, I, yeah. I, had a, I found the school nurse. And then I remember coming home and I remember, I think I waited until like 10 o'clock at night to finally tell my mom, you know, I got home at like two 30 and I was just like building up the courage, you know, it's so ridiculous when you think about it now. Cause it's like, okay, it's your period. Like, right. My period. And, um, 
Also, you know, it's funny. I don't know if it's because of like my age that I'm getting a little bit older or if my hormones are changing or if I've always been a complete psycho a week before my period. But is there a reason for that? Because like, I literally am psychotic a week before my period. Like there's a day and then my Apple watch will go health notification. Your upcoming period is due within seven days. And I'm like, thank God. I'm not a psycho. <laughs> yeah, th- that's totally one of that's, that's a normal characteristic of being in the, on one of the islands of misfit toys. So, okay, so I'm the, getting towards the island of misfit. Which yeah. island? Are there multiple islands or well, just there's those a, two? There, the years kind of after your first period and around your first period, and then the years around your last period. So in the middle of those is that, two, happen, is that happening earlier? I've heard that that for girls and women, both of those things are happening earlier. Um, I think their that their the age yeah. of first period is like on average is maybe very subtly earlier. Okay. It still seems, Megan, it still seems like it's seventh grade. It's just that's always been seventh grade. It will all I feel like that is the median that I see, anyways. Um and then the average age for menopause, meaning last period, is about 51, 50 and a half to 51. But the lead up to the last period is really the more important time because it's more volatile. You know, the, well, how long can you be in, you know, how uh, long can you be in that or, you know, the perimenopause? So it just seems like, especially after I had kids and who know maybe it's just the stress of covid and i just became crazier i don't know but it just seems like i literally know i i'm like just a completely different person for a day and it never fails and then i get a notification that's like your period's due in a week and i'm like okay makes sense (laughs) so do you want the long scientific answer because they're really there's real like science behind this and with my patients i will check labs and like map this out with them because it's really helpful i think to see it on paper so for the majority of your reproductive life um you spend about 20 25 years in peak reproductive sort of efficiency let's say mm-hmm. those are the years where everything's firing on all cylinders and it's a complex interaction of hormones that causes the um this is not the case on birth control we're talking off birth mm-hmm. control but um complex signal mechanism that builds the lining and then if ovulation is not fertilized sheds the lining so it's a very rhythmic pattern of building the lining and shedding the lining fertilize the lawn mow the grass you know and there's some twists and turns um but for the most part it's pretty clockwork Mm -hmm. and well so there's real science behind the hormone changes that lead to um that uh irritable that's mm-hmm. a good adjective feeling right before your earth. Then yeah. So um, the longer answer about why hormones shift and you feel your mood change before your mm-hmm. cycle, it's a real thing. So it's important for Nick to know there's real biochemistry behind this. It's not just, you know, that Natalie went psycho. So it doesn't um, happen in my household. She's very consistent, but go ahead. Oh, she's getting there. She'll get on the island yep. soon enough. Um, why am I on the island already? Or why am I getting closer to the well, island? This is different between <laughs> different people. I mean, okay. I can't help. I don't make the rules about how long it takes your appliance to burn out. 
not my, not my, um, well, I was 12 when I got it and I'm 37 now. Cause you said 25 years. So does you, that not really matter? Late thirties to early forties, I would say the majority of women will have enough changes in their hormone pattern that they can notice some subtle differences. Mm-hmm. They're not usually necessarily impacted to the point that they're coming in to see me and are like, what is going on? Right. Um, but if they think about it, they're like, I do think that my PMS is more intense. And then, you know, you made a great point before. It's not, doesn't happen on, you know, in a vacuum. I mean, you also do have young kids and aging parents. I mean, you've got a lot, uh, you know, late thirties and early forties, even though the hormone changes aren't maybe in full swing yet, you do have a lot of demands. So that definitely adds to it. You're super harassed for time. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. So I think, I think it, that some of it's environment and some of it's biology. Yeah. Um, but in the, let's say 20, 25 years of reproductive prime or peak efficiency, the cycles are driven by ovulation which is about a 28-day process from start to end. It can vary a little, but it's very efficient. So you get a peak of estrogen and then ovulation and then a peak of progesterone and then a cycle. And I it's very- really too much about this after going through with my first. Yeah. It's, it's called luteal phase detox. That's right. It's right. Oh yeah, you're exactly right. So there's the proliferative oh. phase, which is where the egg is growing. And then the luteal phase is the time between ovulation and the administration. And I don't have enough time. So you had a short, okay. Well, so that's they, a good, would, they would say that, you know, the egg and sperm could be meeting every time, but there's not enough, you know, I, I mean, that's a whole different topic, but I get, I'd ovulate and then not even five days later, maybe get my yeah. period. So you had like a late, uh, kind of a late ovulation relative to, mm-hmm. um, to the, the stretch of time after. So that sort of starts to happen naturally as you get older and you get closer to menopause is it takes the ovary longer to make a functional egg. Mm-hmm. And then the time from ovulation to menstruation um, tends to be a little bit shorter and a little more chaotic. And mm-hmm. so it's the chaos of the the mechanism is not as efficient. And so you definitely get a different change in progesterone. It's a lot more of a sharp peak and drop mm-hmm. than it might've been even five years ago. Right. And you're probably a little more susceptible to that if you already had kind of a little luteal phase deficiency. Right. So and after like, after our first one, my then my periods were evened out. They're totally, you know, normal, never needed anything again for um the other two to have them. My well, were completely back to normal. But that was I mean, you have to you have to remember like the average woman in nineteen hundred had like 40 periods in a lifespan. And now obviously there are many more because we're living longer, having a shorter fertility window, nursing less time, let's say on average. So um, it's a normal process, but you don't go from starting your first period. Obviously you may remember this from middle school. It's not like you wake up and you're you know, you go to bed and you're 10 and then you wake up and you're 15. I mean, there's a period of time there where things are evening out for sure. And then it's the same on the other side where it slowly limps towards the finish line. So there are subtle changes before they're more profound changes. And it's real. It's a, you can map it out. I have done it with patients many times where if they need to see it, I will map it out with them and the, you will see the real data about how the hormones, um, and I have charts of this in my office about how they change. Yeah. 
See, we're very complex, you Nick. Test just for that. Can you test for that in people and kind of where they are? Or? It's not an exact science, but I find it to be really helpful in perimenopause. So that's the time leading up to menopause. Um, you can get some lab He's one of my favorite actors, by the way, perimenopause. <laughs> oh, Back in the day, don't you remember the, the dance numbers he used to have in those old movies? <laughs> the per- per- he was super irritable, is what they say. <laughs> Behind the scenes, he was like That's a right. real bear to work with. That's um, right. Sorry. Go ahead. So, yeah, you can get an idea. It's not perfect, but it's not a crystal ball, but where how much juice is left in the ovary. And then there are different characteristic features of the hormone imbalances at, at different levels. Yeah. I mean, I'm so, ready. They can take all my juice. Like, I'm done. So, so you head towards retirement, the but it's a slow goodbye. <laughs> it's a slow yeah. goodbye. Yeah. I know. I would like it to just be like, okay, I'm done having kids. Bye. I mean, that would be better, right? If you just had... Yeah a magic wand and you just activated the system the few times you might want to use it. And then the whole thing like disappeared. It would be so much better. Right. It doesn't work. Yeah. Are they working? Are they working? Elon Musk do something there? Perhaps? I mean, right. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Um, it would save, except for I'd be out of a job. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. No, but you could be the one that activates the switch and all of a sudden. Maybe so. You yeah. know, that, everything that kind of be... works in reverse of the yeah, way you have to go. Did. Yeah. All right. Last question. Well, do you have another? I have one last question unrelated to any of this that I'm going to ask every one of our guests. Oh, unless you have anything else you want to ask. No, I, no, I'm, I think I've gotten my questions. All right. This was just the beginning, I feel like, of Megan's questions. I, I feel no, like I know. We're going to, so we're going to talk separately later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's your question. Um, and I'm going to ask this of everybody. <laughs> I didn't ask this of our first guest. I did of our second guest, and now I will ask you. Okay. Um, are you familiar with master class? Yeah. You know, these classes, and you go and you learn how to do. Yeah. I've never know, done that. one, but I'm familiar with the concept. Yeah. Steph Curry teaches basketball, and uh, um, yeah. Elton John teaches songwriting, although he didn't write the lyrics to his songs. I don't know who teaches songwriting. Anyway. If you could be the world's foremost expert at anything other than your profession, your current field, like you can't say, oh, I want to teach the master class on how to be a, a gynecologist or an OB or I don't know what the difference is still. What about matching fruit to body parts? <laughs> that would be, you mean like a banana? <laughs> or a papaya? I'm just what? saying we went there on this podcast. So now I'm yeah. thinking about it. Well, I, I don't know if you could teach a whole masterclass on, on just that. So if they, they came to you and they said, hey, you know what? Emily Rationalist, you are the world's foremost expert at fill in the blank. We want you to teach the masterclass on that topic. What would you choose to teach the masterclass on? I can pack for pretty much any length of trip to any climate in a carry-on bag. Yeah, packing I'm going to have to take it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a packing ninja. That is a really good one. Uh, not. It's very satisfying. Yeah, totally. This is difficult for me because I have a size 14 shoe. And putting, finding, the being able to get the shoe into the suitcase, if I'm, I can wear a pair and I can bring one pair and that's it, you know, and I get it's a really running shoe. Well, what if you're like going hiking and then, that's you know, right. 
you're going we did. to the beach and then i mean you need multiple pairs of shoes tap dancing we did two weeks. You, i know you tap, I dance. tap dancing yeah like my tango dancing. shoes yeah. so you need a sneaker but you need a more versatile sneaker you need like a sneaker that doesn't look terrible to walk around in that you could also hike in that you could also kind of because you're not really i mean maybe you do but are you going major marathon running on a trip well, no. So California over the summer, we did a week in California, a week in Oregon, basically, more or less. And it includes some very strenuous hiking. We hiked the South Sister Mountain. So I needed my hiking shoes, like actual hiking shoes. I couldn't do like a trail runner. And I had a casual yeah. shoe. And then I wanted to be able to exercise over this period. So I brought I had three, I had a running shoe and I had three pairs of shoes. I can't run in my casual shoe. I'd die. No, you probably should have found a running shoe, casual shoe hybrid, and then done the hiking boots, the hybrid, and like a pair of flip-flops. Yeah, and the flip-flops. So I have these now. The flip-flops are not really shoes. No, yeah, those those will fit. And I, I, I feel like these can, would work for them. On a trip, you can exercise in those shoes. The problem, though, is you get back and now I've, I'm done working out and the shoes are are disgusting. They're sweaty. You, and they, you have a little tide and you kind of you you kind of spritz them in your hotel or your VRBO. Yeah. They're workaround. We, we've got this. Um, a little it's mini amazing. And, yeah, a little Fabrice. We've got this invention called the Pete Feet Dryer. You can get on Amazon and it's a shoe dryer. It was originally for boots. And uh, when we were done running, we come and we put our feet, our shoe, not our feet, but we put our shoes on it and it cycles warm air through them. It extends the life of your shoe like that. So I recommend that. We should put a link to it in the show notes, I feel like. Can you, but you don't pack it, right? Remember we were talking. You can't pack it. I would love to be able to pack it. And maybe you could teach me how to do that. As- Sounds like you had a superfluous <laughs> pair of shoe without a purpose. No, I, there was for sure a purpose because the casual shoe that I was wearing at the time would not have been appropriate as a running could you shoe. Have Amazon, or could you have FedExed yourself your hiking boots to where you were staying in Oregon and then sent them back? I've done that before. A, yeah, that is a possibility. Is I would have had to include the mail, but then I have to go and I have to actually walk into a physical place and do that. So I'm just saying it is possible. Every problem has a solution. Yeah, you, I think you came up with the right solution. And I appreciate <laughs> that as an area of expertise. By the way, Kegs, have you said what yours would be? Yeah, well, I said two things. I said songwriting and I said patience. Oh, patience, you said, yes. Yeah, because yeah. I'm horrible. I have no patience. Yeah, and that was the that was the other thing, is that this could be something that you're not necessarily very good at, but you really yeah, want, no, to be you want to be good at. at. Oh. Like mm. if, if you were like, oh, I'm the expert at this. Yeah. yeah. So mine is, mine's surfing. Because oh. if I could be the best in the world, anything could be. But I'm not a very, I've only surfed a few times. I'm not very good at it. Huh. But yeah. Something to think about. Okay. Consider that. Hey, it has been fantastic having you on. I feel like we've gotten a yeah. lot of excellent information. You guys are the best. The perfect mix of informational and me getting out my 12-year-old self questions that make me. See, aren't you glad? Now you've asked. Now you have the power to ask anything. Yeah, and I'll do I'll well, do some I'll do some research on the fruit, and maybe we <laughs> could record a little, um, like addendum or something well, like for some update. other time. Yeah, record yeah. a snippet, maybe a snippet. Snippet on pineapple. Uh, where are they now? Like, wasn't there a show? Like, where are they now? Yeah. <laughs> Burn, right. Things that were left yeah. lingering. Yeah, this is more yeah. life. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, cool. Well, well thank, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Well,